If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Today on Soundtrack Alley Spotlight, I've got Ron Randall with me, the creator and artist and writer of the comic Trekker. And we'll be talking about his new Kickstarter coming up, but we'll also be talking about the hit TV series, Firefly. We'll talk about some of the background on the film show, on some of the aspects of the show, and we'll even compare it with what Trekker is like. (laughs) And it's all coming up today on Soundtrack Alley, and it starts now. Hello, I am your host, Randy Andrews, and I have Ron Randall with me today. Ron, it's good to have you on my show. Thanks so much, Randy. It's great to be with you. Yeah, uh, you know, thinking about uh, this episode and how uh, you are a comic and artist and writer, I mean, you know, you are the complete creator of (laughs) the property known as Trekker. Right. And um, can you can you give us a little bit of background as to how that began? Um, yeah, I'll try to be brief here. Uh, I was uh, I was working. Um, it, so Trek has a long history. It goes back quite a ways. Uh, I was working at DC Comics. Uh, I was working, doing a regular monthly book at DC Comics right at the time uh, that dark horse comics was starting up and they happened to be in my hometown, Portland, Oregon. And I had just moved back here myself from living on the East coast for a bunch of years, getting started in the comics industry, because back then it was, you worked from Marvel or DC. That was pretty much the comics industry. Um, uh, but yeah, as I say, just, just when I moved back, it was when, when this, uh, the rise of these, the, the, the first wave of independent comics publishers was just coming about, including Dark Horse. They were looking to get some people who were established professionals to do work for their, their brand new company. And, um, they approached me at a convention and, and, uh, offered me the chance to come and, and, and do something for them. And they, what they said was essentially, this is close to word for word, at least as I remember it, they said, if you come and work for us. We will pay you and you can do whatever you want, which, you know, I said, I'll never hear that sentence again in my life. Um, <laughs> and, and I was right about that. But um, uh, so I, I just viewed that as, as quite likely the, the, the one shot that I would get about sort of building my dream, my dream comics project. 
Um, and uh, so I, I, I was thinking about, I was, it was a tempting offer, but you know, I didn't know who this company was. I didn't know if they were going to be around six months from now or whatever, but uh, uh, it was, it, it was too tempting an offer. And again, I just thought I'll probably never have a shot like this again. So uh, I started thinking very seriously about what would my dream project be like? I've always loved science fiction. Uh, I had a chance to work on some stories that had some, um, some good female characters in them. And I always wanted to have, it just felt compelling to me to have a woman character at the center of the action, which there weren't opportunities to do much of that sort of stuff in comics back then. And so I thought, well, let me just try to build something here and pitch it to Dark Horse and see what they think. And they, uh, they, green-lighted, it, they, they green-lighted it immediately, so I was off and running. So that's how Trekker got started. And uh, for those who don't know, it's a science fiction series about a young woman who's a bounty hunter. That's the short one-sentence uh, <laughs> peanut pitch for, for Trekker, I guess. Uh, but that's, long- that's a pretty awesome pitch, though. Well, thanks. I mean, uh, 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 at the time, I, I, was, I wasn't necessarily doing it to intentionally be you know, like, you know, groundbreaking or whatever. I just it's, it's felt like something I wanted to do. And I didn't think I'd have an opportunity to do that at any of the sort of the, the established companies. It wasn't the sort of comics they were making. So I just thought it just I just did it because it's what I wanted to do. That's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's I, I will give myself credit for having answered the question of what my dream project be pretty well all those years ago, because I'm still working on it today after having been away from for a bunch of years. And I'm, I'm more excited uh, about telling the stories now uh, than I was even back then. So, um, so at least I think I, I, I knew what I wanted at least. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really good though, because then even at the time that you were writing Trekker to begin with, what was it mm-hmm. like 87, 88? Yeah. 80, 86, 87, 87 okay. is when it first, I guess uh, came out of print. I, Sort of, you know, uh, was first putting the pitch together in in, uh, 86 and it came out in 87, yeah. So at that time, there wasn't a great deal of science fiction that people could actually relate to or that they could actually dig into because a lot of the films weren't science fiction-y. And, you know, a lot of times what they related comics to was what was happening in the movie industry. And it, it felt like, you know, with Trekker, it was something unique, something fresh. And uh, that's what I've always felt when I've read uh, the early works of yours and just digging into that first omnibus. And <laughs> I'm like, this is really good. It's, it's high quality, compelling storytelling. Uh, and you get that, that vibe of science fiction and space vehicles and laser <laughs> weapons and <laughs> right it's just right up my alley so it's well, well thanks always, I'm, I'm glad to hear that yeah it's always been something that i've appreciated as a science fiction fan um well thanks you know and, and i will say that um for me uh, what what i what i think my my strengths are because that's what my strongest interests are, are is in uh in of all the different aspects and and uh, things that go into making a comic book or any kind of story really the the ones that i that i feel the most compelling in stories that i really like are are if they the characters feel you know if i feel a connection to the characters that they feel you know whatever real believable just compelling charismatic uh 
mesmerizing, whatever. If there's something about the characters that I have a connection with, I'll go a long way into a story on that basis. Um, yeah. And then, and then just sort of, as you said, the overall craft of storytelling. Um, and in my business, that means choosing the right details, the right images, of course, because it's comics, and then the right words to use where you're giving the reader enough, not too much, but all that they need to to be able to fill in a few gaps and be pulled into the story. And so it's almost like a col collaborative work of creating the story or, or experiencing it anyway together. Um, so uh, uh, it, it's, it's, it's great to hear that those stories resonate with readers and, and, and are well-remembered <laughs> to this day. Yeah. yeah, and another thing that I think about is with Trekker, when it was, when it was first out, did you have any specific influences either in comics or in like movies or TV that influenced the way that you wanted maybe to set yourself apart or? Um, yeah, I think I had, uh, I had um, a stew of influences, you know, little, little bits of this, little bits of that. Um, uh, everything from like when I was a kid, I fell in love with Flash Gordon, you know, swashbuckling sci-fi with <laughs> with people with leather jackets and cool blasters running around in swamp planets and flying around in elegant spaceships and you know uh, alien civilizations and all that sort of highly romantic sort of science fiction stuff and star wars has a little bit of that swashbuckly aspect to it but they also have some mm -hmm. of the nuts and bolts hardware -y thing you know the you know hoses on the ships and they they leak and steam comes out of them and you have to kick them to get them to <laughs> to, yeah. to get the Millennium Falcon into the air. So um, some of that stuff was, was in the stew. Uh, when I was a kid, I also read, uh, I read the book Dune, Frank Herbert's um, oh, yeah. incredible science fiction masterpiece, mm -hmm. and uh, which is a story that, that, that starts with a, a young man who is pretty clearly uh, identified as being sort of a character of destiny. And, and you, you go from the, the personal story of this kid and his family uh, and then as the book goes on, it, you know, expands and, and it encompasses like the entire civilization and, and these 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 monumental events and, and cataclysmic things that are happening. So some of that is is in, baked into the sensibility of Trekker, which starts off with a young woman, um, a lone bounty hunter on the streets of a gritty noir city, something out of Blade Runner, which is another thing that was inspirational to me. Nice. And then she has these adventures, travels farther and farther field, goes off planet, comes back and she's shaped and informed by all these adventures that she has she she wins some she wins some she loses some people mm -hmm. die people die in her hands uh she has rude awakenings and so on and so forth and gradually her worldview expands beyond you know at the beginning she's just got her blinders on she's uh, mm -hmm. she's really really good at what she does she shoots people and gets paid for it you know that's pretty cool but um and that's all that she really cares about she doesn't want to be bothered by the inconvenient details like for instance that she's a human being yeah. or that or that there are other people in the world whose actions affect her and whose action and her actions affect them and that there are forces at play at play in, in the larger world that that um may not always have her best interest at heart and that in, in the end she might be also one of those characters has a, a destiny who, who might have something to to say about that and uh, so that's the the big scope that i'm ultimately aiming for the series to to get to so there's all those influences and also uh, a certain amount of uh, westerns i love the book i read the book lonesome dove um mm -hmm. which i heard about uh you know what 20 25 30 years ago now 
Um, and I'd heard it won a Pulitzer Prize, and oh, I should check this out. And I went to the bookstore and I picked it up, and it's a, it's a western. I don't read westerns, but it was. <laughs> but I but I read the first sentence, and I said, okay, I've got to read this book. Um, I think with a lot of you know, if you got a really really good novelist, somebody that really uses language well, you can kind of read a first sentence and figure out if this is going to work. Not always, but in a lot of books that that'll do it. And uh, uh, so, uh, and it was a great book. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, of course, I grew up in the era when, uh, a lot of the movies were Westerns and you got some mm-hmm. great ones, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and so on. Uh, so, uh, and so some of that, um, like some of the Trekker stories, she'll be like out in the wastelands, out beyond the city that she's from and like tracking down essentially one, one lone desperado or renegade or something like that. And I mean, that's just, it's a pure, it's a pure Western thing, you know, I may mm-hmm. have a blaster instead of a six shooter and she may fly around in an airship or something like that. But, uh, but the basic shape of, and texture of the story and the sense of the grittiness of the landscape and all that stuff. Uh, 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 it's a thin line between science fiction and Western <laughs> in a lot mm-hmm. of cases. And yeah. I think a lot of that stuff also, of course, applies to Firefly as well. I I was just going to say the same thing because it's like when you're describing Trekker to say a new reader and uh, it's today, you know, you're, you're describing it to someone today and you're saying, okay, so how do you describe it? Do you, do you use some comparisons? Yeah. Um, I, I usually start off with that one sentence, you know, the, the sentence I, I already, I said at the beginning of the show, a science fiction series about a young woman who's a bounty hunter, because that gets across a lot of it right there. I mean, if you mm-hmm. say science fiction and bounty hunter in the same sentence, that to me conveys a lot about that sort of sci-fi Western texture to things. Uh, it, it's uh, probably going to have a little bit of the elegance of science fiction, but also some of that grittiness and the, the nuts and bolts, you know, uh, putting on straps and <laughs> pouches and, and uh you know, getting torn and bloodied <laughs> that, a, that a bounty yeah. seems to. So, um, I used that with that sense, but then I, I will often list some of the, some of the same things that I've already talked about here as influence influences of, of mine, uh, as far as to get a flavor, the, the kinds of stories that I tell in Trekker, um, mm-hmm. uh, and beyond rattling off some of those movie and book, uh, titles, I will sometimes also say that one of the things that I, um, that I've found to be really, really uh, rewarding about this, the umbrella concept of, you know, young woman, bounty hunter, uh, having lots of different adventures is that uh, the, the series, I can, uh, I can pretty much take each story now and sort of shift the setting around to a pretty good degree. Um, mm-hmm. uh, one, one story uh, in one of the recent stories uh, called Chapel Town, she's on, she's on like a, a frontier Western world. And she tangles with the local sheriff, you know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's very, it's very, you know, you can, you can almost smell the sage and the, <laughs> yeah. and the pines, right? Uh, and yeah. then the next, the next door is called the Dark Star Zephyr, which is a spaceship. And she's out on a spaceship and she tangles up with the, uh, the, the, the central ruling council forces in space. So it's, it's, it's mm. got that sort of a feel to it. Um, and then the next door is called Battlefields. And she's, uh, she goes to a planet and winds up in the middle of, a war zone caught between two battling armies and she's a bounty hunter. So she's good at action, but, but in a different setting. So each of the stories I can um, sort of try to take Mercy St. Clair, my character and, and sort of put her in different settings and contexts. Uh, 
so we can see her from different angles. I think it's I think the readers get a slightly different you know um, texture or vibe for each story. So there's a sense of variety to it. But the whole series is held together by that long, that long, uh, slowly or gradually evolving arc of her character development. So, yeah, uh, Mercy St. Clair is the whatever the anchor for the series, the the thread that that everything connects through um, and holds the series together. So for me, it's that com- wanting to have that that magical combination of plenty of variety. So there's something new to look at and experience each time, but also it still feels like a it feels like another Trevor story. It feels like the next the next step in the journey. That's that's the plan. Nice. That's that's really well described. And and when I'm thinking about it, Western, spaceships, war zone. Hmm. Hey, there's a lot of comparisons with Firefly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There were, you know, it's kind of it's kind of funny. Um. Uh, one day I was uh, working in my home studio and uh, my daughter uh, came up to me and said, Dad, you need to watch this this show Firefly. It's just like Trekker. I'd never even heard of Firefly before. <laughs> um, yeah. And we can talk about some of how, how the struggles Firefly had to find its audience and stuff like that. But, oh, yeah. um, you know, my, my daughter had, uh, obviously she knew my, my work in Trekker. And so she, 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 she instantly recognized how similar the two which I, I I was pretty gratified by. <laughs> yeah, that you know it's a it's a neat way to to really get into talking about Firefly because I was blown away that Firefly was only fourteen episodes and they only aired like eleven of them mm-hmm. out of the fourteen, mm-hmm. and it was on Fox, and sometimes with the Fox Network. They've been known to have a series start, but sometimes that's where series go to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's sad because the storyline was really great. The, I mean, you've got a battle right off the bat in the first episode of the show, and you're right in the middle of a war zone. And then the right. next thing you know, you're in the West. And they're having a bar fight. <laughs> yep. And it's just, it's amazing how that show went from one one way to another. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, the, 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 the different episodes had um, different kinds of capers, you know, mm-hmm. and then different kinds of, you know, uh, taut, suspenseful, um, claustrophobic uh, Prey and predator trapped on the ship, you know, um, something something out of Alien, uh, mm-hmm. for instance. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, there, um, there's a lot of uh, there are a lot of parallels between the two the, the two things between Trekker and and Firefly. Uh, vastly different in some ways, uh, I, I hasten to add, but um, but I, I I think there's a lot of resonance. I think that uh, we were both playing with a lot of the same. A lot of same tools from the toolbox. <laughs> so mm-hmm. putting putting a lot of the similar ingredients together in different ways maybe be one way to put it. Yeah, when you talk about uh, like a an alien esque type situation, I was thinking of the actual episode of Firefly known as Bushwhacked, where mm-hmm. they they find this derelict and there's one guy alive in it, and he's not exactly all there. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah, and yeah. you know it's it's almost kind of a uh you know 
escape from the crazy man on the on the ship. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I've just I found that with Trekker and with Firefly, there's just a lot of similarities to it because you've got this uh, character that is kind of out of her element. And with, mm-hmm. with Mercy St. Clair, she's out of her element in a lot of ways. But right. then as she goes through these these adventures, she's learning not only about herself, but like you said, the larger world around her. Yeah, exactly. That's um, that one of the one of my favorite things to do as a storyteller is to take a character like Mercy, who is incredibly uh, competent and sort of self-contained and self-directed and, you know, and, and invested in being in control and then putting her in situations where she has none of those things mm-hmm. <laughs> so that, you know, so the boy character can be revealed and, and, uh, um, showing the vulnerabilities of tough characters, you know, that mm-hmm. the, the vulnerability that they, they will do anything to conceal from you, which just makes it incredibly obvious to you, <laughs> to mm-hmm. everybody but them. Um, those sort of characters I find just incredibly compelling. They feel very human to me. And, um, that's, uh, that's been, um, I guess I'd probably say my primary mission with each tracker story. I, I want to come up with a cool, you know, whatever science fiction adventure, a sci-fi Western thing or whatever, and have some interesting plot developments and, and move the series on to the next, um, the next rung up the ladder as each story I want to build on the previous ones and, and take, I'm, I'm taking the series to a place. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but the primary task I have is to, um, delve into the character and, and make her and, and the, the growing sort of ensemble cast that's growing around her as, as the stories go on, make them compelling characters that the readers feel a connection to. Uh, as I said before, I think if I know the way I am, if I, if I feel that, you know, that sense of connection with the character, um, I, I am much more likely to, to get into a story and, and hang in for the long ride and even forgive it if once in a while, you know, there's, okay, that plot twist maybe could have been done more <laughs> gracefully or that shot was not elegantly composed or whatever. But, but, but I really want to know what's going to happen to this person or how they're going to relate mm-hmm. to that person or how are they doing in this situation? Um, if I, if I think about them as a person, as opposed to a character, if you know what I mean, um, mm-hmm. th- then the storyteller sort of has me right where they want me and, <laughs> and I'll, and I'll hang in there. Cause, cause I care about these people. They are now my, I don't know, friends or, or, or heroes or whatever, but um, that connection is, is so important. So that's, that's my main focus of the stories. Uh, and in a way, the other stuff is just trappings. <laughs> fun, yeah. Fun visuals and cool plot twists to, to, to uh, get our pulses racing and that sort of stuff, you know. But it's mostly, how's Mercy doing now? What's next yeah. for her? That sort of thing. <laughs> exactly. And with, with Firefly, even, you, you have all these ensemble characters. You've got Malcolm Reynolds, who's the mm-hmm. captain. You've got, um, <laughs> I can't think of. Oh, Ariana. And Ari- yeah, you've got. Kaylee. And, yeah. Kaylee, and you've got jane and you've got wash you've got shepherd book you've got uh, zoe zoe and you've got all these unique characters that all blend together so well and they form like this family and even it's interesting when the series was being filmed instead of the crew 
uh, going to their trailers to hang out, they would go to the lounge on set <laughs> to hang out because they felt comfortable there. And I thought that was so cool. Yeah, that's a great that's a great anecdote because I'm I, I'm sure that that doesn't happen uh, all the time and maybe not even very often. Um, you can, you might be able to find a, a group of actors who have great on screen chemistry, but mm-hmm. the the you know they, they stop filming and everybody goes their separate ways. So it's it's nice to to feel that that sense of family camaraderie that we saw on screen was also going on when the when the cameras weren't rolling, so to speak. Yeah, and I really like how with the different elements of the show and how you've got like capers and you've got the train job where they mm-hmm. they go to steal some money or and then they end up taking it back or something. And, you know, you've got all these elements of a unique crew and, and then they encounter these these humans who have gone crazy gone by the wayside with you know the reavers oh yeah and uh you know those they're not exactly human they've they've become something worse and so many people in that world they've just kind of adapted to being able to start a new life on other planets and right. they have horses and cows and <laughs> it's like, well, and how, spaceships. Did, how did this happen? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. one thing that I like about it is it reminds me the way things happen in space on Firefly is very mm-hmm. quiet. Like there wouldn't be any sound cause it's in space. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of uh, the way Battlestar Galactica, the the reboot, the reboot, had come yeah, out, and how everything that happened in space, there was no sound because yeah, there wouldn't be. <laughs> you didn't you didn't hear the roar of engines and the the pew 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 of yeah. blasters and stuff like that. It was just silent things moving through space, right? Yeah, yeah, and uh, there's, it's just different things like that make uh, such a great show, and and even. When looking at, I don't want to see. I really don't want to spoil anything with battlefields, uh, <laughs> but I mean, I read it just three days ago. Okay. I finished finished <laughs> reading it three days ago, and it was such an action-packed story. So much happened to Mercy mm-hmm. that I was like, "Is she mm-hmm. going to come out of this alive?" <laughs> oh, I'm so glad to hear you say that because that really that's one of the most uh, I've heard a few other people have have made those sort of comments at some of the previous stories. It's, look, I know it's a series, I know she's a star, but I was really wondering if she was going to make it out of this one alive. <laughs> uh, again, if you can just sort of get the readers to be that involved, they're, they're that, if you're that lost in the story, you know, that you yeah. can have that, that sense of, uh, of uh, anxiety and uncertainty going on, then uh, yeah, that's, pretty, that's, that's pretty great to hear. Thanks a lot. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. <laughs> you're welcome. Because, you know, even in her situations that she got, in battlefields which you gotta say everyone needs to read that book (laughs) and and i gotta i gotta step away from talking about firefly and and focus on trekker for just a moment at my local comic shop which is called legend comics and coffee Hmm. you don't know how many times i have pitched trekker (laughs) to people because i'm like because they like sci-fi and they mm-hmm. like kind of a Western feel and we talk about Firefly and then 
I'm like, well, have you ever read Trekker? And the one few books that they have on their 50% off stack is the Trekker Omnibus. Ah. And so I go and reach over to it and I'm like, see, this is a really good book. You need to read this. <laughs> and and uh, I've gotten actually people to become fans of Trekker just by that interaction. Well, thanks so much. That's great. You're welcome. And, you know, thinking about writers and how you are an amazing writer and you're, you're taking the story for Trekker in so many different ways. And then we look at the series of Firefly and how Joss Whedon, he had the hardest time with the Fox network of them saying that it was so, it was dark. The story mm -hmm. wasn't happy and mm -hmm. sometimes things didn't end well. And, but Joss Whedon, he fought for it. You know, he fought to get this going and get it, get it going and uh, everything about it just really played to the adventure hero in all of us, I think, mm -hmm. you know, and I, <laughs> all right. So one of the things I don't think that it's in my notes for Firefly, but if you've ever watched the show Castle, Mm -hmm. I think it was season four or season five of Castle. And I think it was a Halloween episode. And Nathan Fillion mm -hmm. dressed up as Malcolm Reynolds <laughs> at the very beginning of the episode or something. And it was like, oh, you're back, <laughs> Malcolm. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. And it was just so, so much fun to see because it would be really awesome to see a Trekker either TV show or a Trekker movie come out to get things rolling again, even, even to get more interest in the comic that you're writing. Well, yeah, I would, I would obviously, I would love to have that happen as well. Uh, there's, there's been some talk and nothing is uh, crystallized yet, but uh, I'm always trying to, you know, to look for opportunities. It's a world, that world of, you know, um, connections into the the producers and studios and stuff like that is one that I yeah. don't I, I don't that's not a road I've traveled so uh, a lot of unknowns there but uh, um, if you happen to be listening to this and you're a producer and you're interested in a science fiction property let's talk <laughs> yeah exactly um, so I have to ask you Ron who is mm -hmm. your favorite character in Firefly oh boy I, 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 I will um, I'll give you one, but but first I have to say that that I I I really have problems with these best of and favorite things because uh, with me it tends to be um, like what's my favorite album, you know? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, it, it, I got gotcha. It's often what I have. It's often what I have on the turntable right now. You know, mm -hmm. I don't have one that's just my favorite. But um, boy, in Firefly, I mean, you know, we were talking who's, about this. Who's pretty up there? Ensemble. You know, like yeah. well, pretty up there. I mean, that, obviously, you know, Mal is a great character, but. Uh, I, I just um, I love um, Kaylee because uh, I don't think you see characters like her very often who are that well done. Where she's um, she seems so innocent in a lot of ways, but she's mm -hmm. actually very sophisticated and maybe the most insightful and intuitive character on the crew. Um, but but something the actress that they have playing her and the way that she's written. Um, 
she um she just sort of uh sort of um inspires goodness uh, from you she evokes mm-hmm. it from you whether you want it to or not and uh, i don't think that's an i do not think that's an easy trick to pull off especially in the current age <laughs> in which we live <laughs> and yeah. um uh so uh i i i really um i think she's a uh, kind of a special and almost magical element in the show i also think zoe is a great character i mean honestly mm-hmm. if 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 Zoe if if Nathan wasn't there to be Mal and we had to have a different captain and 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 the it show the show the show was Firefly and Zoe was the captain of the ship I think that would still have been one hell of a great sci-fi <laughs> show. So, yeah. um, but but all the characters I mean I mean the show is so well constructed and so so well written through and through that just about any one of those characters because they pretty much did you know could carry an episode uh by with with a compelling storyline and and great acting um so like i said it's hard to play favorites in that sort of Mm -hmm. situation but yeah (laughs) i think you're right because with with the ensemble cast and with how many episodes there were you got to see each character shine in their own Mm -hmm. way Mm -hmm. and you got to love each character individually and be like, oh, this show wouldn't be the same without it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Even even the characters that, that are difficult to love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Jane, like, for instance. Like Jane, yeah. <laughs> but there's <laughs> there's elements of that, like when he calls his, his gun Vera. Yeah. I mean, th- there are <laughs> things about it that you, he, just, he just adds so much to the to the color of the show, so to speak, the the atmosphere, the flavor, whatever you want to call it, um, and it just it affects the chemistry when you have a, a great team like that. Each person plays a enriches it so much. Yeah, yeah, and that's also what makes Trekker so good is that you have you have an ensemble cast mm-hmm. for your stories. You have mainly Mercy. But mm-hmm. you have Molly, you have uh, her uncle. Um, right. I can't think of his first name right now. <laughs> Alex. 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 <laughs> you have Alex, and you have, you know, you've got these uh, other characters that get introduced through the story of Chapeltown, and you get mm-hmm. more with uh, Battlefields and the Dark Zephyr. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Captain in that story in the dark Zephyr, mm-hmm. uh, he reminds me of, um, Harry Mudd. <laughs> yeah, he, he does. And it's, it's so funny. Cause I, I designed the character and, and, uh, created, and then my wife was, who loves Star Trek, you know, she said, Oh, he reminds me of Harry Mudd. And I, I, as soon as she said, I said, Oh my God, it's so, <laughs> it's so clearly Harry Mudd, but, um, Oops, what can I say? It was, you know, I mean, those those Star Trek uh, shows are so, I guess they're so ingrained in me that I wasn't even aware. It's kind of but embarrassing. But it's fun. I, it's great, though. I, well, I, I mean, hopefully it works where the reader says, oh, I get this character, he's like mud. And yet, at the same time, uh, I'm hoping he's that Quig yeah, Quig has, you know, he, he brings some other elements to the table as well as, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he seems like a very complex character. And that's well, what makes him good. so good. Thanks. And uh, one of the challenges uh, that I'm really enjoying with the series now is, as I said, when I when I first started, it was it was very intentionally uh, focused on mercy and and sort of short, sort of hard hitting, terse, um, self-contained adventure stories, 
although I knew that ultimately I wanted to have something that was somewhat more expansive. You know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm no Frank Herbert, but I wanted to write a series where the scale would expand, the stakes would rise, and, mm-hmm. and our interests would expand beyond Mercy and even beyond our own city and so on and so forth. Um, but I, when I first started the series, I was, I was a new comics writer, and I, and I mm-hmm. felt I don't have the writing chops to pull off like Dune yet. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I, knowing I wanted to get there, from the very first story, I was, I was planting some seeds. I would introduce a character or make a reference to some resistance movement that's out in the stars. Um, thinking that as the story, as the stories go on and I get more familiar with the process and the world and the characters, I will develop those things over time. So now I'm getting to the point in the series where that stuff is happening. And some of those characters that had appeared, uh, once in a while and then maybe disappeared for a while, some of them are coming back now and we're seeing them in a, in a deeper, more enriched context. And so that's uh, spreading the focus around. So it's not exclusively 100% on just what's mercy about, you know, her, her mm-hmm. relationships with these characters, as they do with most of us as we get older, you know, uh, as we grow up and mature and form connections with different groups or people. And that helps to shape who we are. And it just lends that much more meaning and context to our lives. So all that stuff is, is, is supposed to be happening in the series, too. So it's uh, got me sort of jumping in five or six different directions at once, which keeps it very interesting. <laughs> yeah, me, I, <laughs> I, I imagine because, like, uh, you know, you, you look at where mercy is right now mm-hmm. and do you think that you'd ever take mercy in a direction of having like a team of people to join her on like an adventure saying like oh i've got to go pick up this person and they've got to help us with this job or something have you ever thought about doing something like that uh yeah it's um it's kind of the direction the series is is arcing in uh where where you know she's she's sort of transitioning from being this sort of this lone wolf this sort of you know solo bounty hunter um and part of that is good and she's also stepping onto this larger stage uh she's not just walking around the streets of the city trying to you know bring in some uh some some kidnapper or murderer or smuggler or whatever like that she's she's dealing with larger forces and that's the sort of stuff you just can't take that on single-handedly unless you're a superhero and she's not a superhero mm. so um whether she wants to or not um she she is um the, the cast is expanding those people will become essentially something of a a team a family a crew whatever you want to call it uh battlefields was was actually one step in that psychological evolution for mercy she she winds up um not to give any spoilers but she you know she winds up interacting with some of these soldiers and and um and so there's that flavor of uh you know like in a platoon or something it's like on the the crew of firefly different characters have their different roles to play in this dynamic and and there are things to be gained in working in that sort of a situation that you don't mm-hmm. get when you're out there on your own um and it's kind of like mercy's first experience of working in that sort of situation and we find out some things about how she responds to that. And, and uh, uh, so the idea, again, is, is the whole point of the series is, like everybody else, you know, she has experiences, she learns from them, she, she reacts to them, and they change her behavior over time. Mm-hmm. They, they, they change the way she sees herself, her world, and how she, the choices that she makes. Um, uh, so, yeah, that, that, uh, that assembling a, a team, a, a crew, uh, is... Is going to be is going to be a part of what comes comes along for Mercy for sure. 
Oh, that's exciting. That's really yeah. exciting. Now, when I think about the, the books that you've made and how it started out that it was through Dark Horse, that, mm-hmm. that some of these books were produced through Dark Horse. And I think it was the first omnibus for Trekker. And then you did uh, write a, is it write a passage or is it a uh, train to Avalon Bay? That oh, was train to Avalon through... Bay. Yeah. Okay. Well, both, both of those two. Uh, so we put oh, out okay. the, om- so we put up the omnibus, which basically that collected all the stories that I'd done of Trekker uh, back in the eighties and through the nineties. Uh, and I'd been away from this series for about a dozen years. And when I got back to it, um, uh, the first thing we did uh, when I realized Dark Horse and I were going to start, you know, dancing this way together again, <laughs> um, we I, I wanted to get all those early stories back into print uh, mm-hmm. in one concise package so that readers could, you know, get it and get up to speed quickly. So we put out the omnibus and then we put out the two trade paperbacks, uh, the train to Avalon Bay and then the Rites of Passage through Dark Horse. Okay. And so that was also through Dark Horse. But then from that point on, you were able to take creative control and use Kickstarter to fund the next books, correct? That's right. Yeah. I um and, and you know, um, yeah, take creative control true, but it's really um, you know, as far as working with Dark Horse, they were great as far as the, the creative end of things. Unlike Josh Whedon, who had his issues with Fox and they mm-hmm. wanted the series not to be dark. They 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 were having input into the content of his series uh dark horse has always been terrific as far as the creative end of things what i do in trekker is what i do in trekker dark horse's role as the publisher or or as my publishing partner i i would call them was determining you know the 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 format sometimes that the book would come out in and and of course Mm. the frequency when they would put it in their publishing schedule and that was the stuff that was just starting to not work for me again the reason i took the break from trekker back at the end of the 90s was i wasn't able to get the book out on a regular consistent basis so that readers could find it uh in a reliable way uh, i'd put out an issue it'd be a standalone or a one shot or something and mm-hmm. it would come and then disappear and then i'd meet fans at a convention when are you gonna do more trekker i just did a book last year oh i never knew and it was driving me nuts <laughs> yeah so uh so when i first got back to doing trekker i really wanted that to not happen again Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it was kind of happening again at Dark Horse. They they were willing to put out Trekker books, but only when they could, you know, find a place in their schedule that it could yeah. be accommodated well. So it was it was again becoming an unpredictable uh, schedule for publication, and with long gaps between, wasn't working. So I, I finally said, "Well, I've got to I've got to try to to address this and get the books to come out on a much more consistent, regular basis." So that's that's what Kickstarter has allowed me to do, and I've been. I've been very thrilled to see how how strongly I've been supported so far. And it's really amazing how fast things get funded through Kickstarter for you. Because it's like uh, I get the notifications from not only Kickstarter, but through my emails. And I'm like, oh, right. He got to his (laughs) next stretch goal. And, you know, I just it's like rooting for you because it's like this is, you know, it's 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 got to be a real struggle to to see if some if a book is going to make that next leap or, you know, be able to actually get funded. Cause I've seen some books on Kickstarter that have been very hard to get funded. Like there was one recently with Colin Bunn and Tim Mayer that yeah. it was an illustrated, um, horror, horror comic. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and I guess that one had its 
very much challenges with getting the the full funding for that book. And so, you know, it happens. But with yeah. Trekker, it's it's great. It, it's actually, <laughs> you know, you're you're you've got building momentum on the story and on the character and Kickstarter seems to be the best way that's getting done. Well, it, it does seem a very good fit for for Trekker. It it, it really does. And uh, like I said, I've just been so so gratified that uh, that it's gone as well uh, as it has. It's, it's been it's been great and exciting so far. And uh, but each campaign is a new adventure, and um, I approach them all with a certain degree of uncertainty because there's no guarantees. And uh, as as your listeners may know, if you're familiar with Kickstarter, you know that Kickstarter it's it's sort of like an all or nothing proposition. You mm-hmm. you declare a goal. And uh, you run your campaign for a set number of days, and if you haven't hit that goal by the time your the campaign is over, you don't get any money whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, it's uh, kind of a high stakes ga- high stakes gamble. I've got enough of a track record that it doesn't feel like quite as much of a risk as it did when I launched the first mm-hmm. campaign or two. But um, but you know, I, I, I just don't take anything for granted. <laughs> Yeah, and so your next Kickstarter, mm-hmm. talking about your Kickstarter, your next one goes up, what is it, January 21st? January 21st, that's right, yeah. Okay, that's exciting. That's, it's going to be a little different, too. Um, should we talk about that? Sure, let's okay. talk about um, it. So uh, what you were just saying earlier about uh, the, the books that I did through Dark Horse, the omnibus that collects all the stories from the very first Trekker page ever printed, up to the last page that I did before I took my break, all that omnibus material, plus the two new trade paperbacks that I put out through Dark Horse a few years ago, all of those books are out of print now. You cannot get get them through Dark Horse anymore. Uh, You might be able to find them on Amazon or something, either used or somebody selling them new at a premium or something. But you can't go into your store and and get a comic shop to order those from Dark Horse anymore. I know because Mm -hmm. I personally... I've ordered copies from Dark Horse until their warehouses are empty, um, <laughs> um, because because I like to take the books to shows to be able to yeah. turn readers on to the the earlier stories, and you can't get, I can't get them anymore. So, mm. for the next Kickstarter, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a break from telling a new story, and I'm gonna run a Kickstarter to collect all that out of print material. It's like over 450 pages worth of stuff, wow. and put it out as as one oversized hardcover book. Um, Many of those stories have only appeared in black and white before. I've just mm-hmm. finished now personally coloring over 200 pages of Trekker material colored for the first time. So that That's this volume a lot will, of material. It's a lot of material, but I really want this hardcover to be, to be special, to be a premium, um, uh, a, a sort of a celebration, a reward for all the, the readers and for myself for sticking with it for all this time. And I want to be able to get all those stories back in print so a new reader can start from page one if they want to um, and read all those earlier stories and then to be ready to spring right into the, the next set of books. So it's going to be a format. It's going to be very much like the, for comic readers in your audience that, that might know the series saga, they put out a oh, series yeah. of, of uh, they put out those books as, you know, single issues, then as trade paperbacks and then as a, these big hardcover volumes. Uh, the, the book. <laughs> yeah. My, my plan will be to have this trucker book be very much like that. So, so um, I, what will it all include, like completely? Uh, like I said, everything from the omnibus and the train table on Bay and Rites of Passage. Oh, all, all awesome. The, yeah, all the books are out of print. 
um, everything that I did before I turned to Kickstarter, basically. Um, okay. So if you get the omnibus, then you then you can pick up the um, the, uh, the the new books that I put out that I've self published through Kickstarter uh, that are still available. Um, mm-hmm. So my goal is is with this Kickstarter to get all the every page of of Trekker you know back in print and accessible to to, to readers. Um, so that's that's the big thing, but it's a, it's a it's a hardcover. It's a much bigger project, so I'm going to have to ask for yeah. more money and and hope for more backing. You know, we'll we'll see how mm-hmm. it goes. Like I say, it's everyone's an adventure. <laughs> yes, that's true. And are you going to have any new story in there? No, in this book there won't be new okay. story. This book, what will be new in this this book will be um, uh, all the pages that will be in color for the first time, and and getting it all in that that setting that context. Uh, mm-hmm. then, then there'll be, there will be, um, there'll be some extra, um, you know, backup things like I'll, I'll put some reproductions of some of the early developmental art of Trekker and, and stuff like that. Some extra features there to make it kind of special. But, uh, no, this one is just to, to reclaim the book, the stories from the past. Uh, and then, uh, if this Kickstarter uh, goes well, uh, in January and it ends in February 20th, uh, my plan is by next summer to do another Kickstarter, and that one will be to tell the next news story, the one that takes place after Battlefield. So, oh, exciting! Um, well, you know, yeah, I'm very. I mean, it's a lot, but uh, I, I really do want to get. As I say, I'm invested in trying to get those early stories back into print. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but with Trekker, I'm, I'm, I'm almost always much more focused on where I'm going next, as opposed to where I've been, because Mercy has a lot more stories in front of her, uh, and I'm anxious to tell them. So um, I, I don't want to take too long of a break in telling the news stories. I feel it's necessary here. It, it's called for um, to, to do the hardcover um, collection. But uh, as quickly as I can, I want to get back into um, continuing Mercy's journey forward. So that's the, that's the big plan. <laughs> that's fantastic. That's really awesome. Thanks. So this being a, a soundtrack podcast... Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd like I'd like to ask you a really cool question because mm-hmm. you write, you draw, you com- construct your your stories, and you're constantly working on your your story for mercy. What do you listen to when you're writing and drawing? Okay, well, when I'm writing, it's very um. That's very delicate. I, I listen to, I often listen to soundtracks, something that has some sort of an ambient feel to it, um, mm-hmm. more atmospheric. Um, I cannot listen to my rock and roll <laughs> yeah. when, when I'm writing. Uh, I am too distracted by the lyrics and, and that sort of stuff. So um, uh, it'll be soundtracks from some of my favorite movies. Uh, I, I love the Blade Runner soundtrack. It's okay. just, it's it's so evocative and atmospheric for me. That often sets up a really good, uh, writing vibe or whatever for me. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the for whatever reason, the soundtrack to the movie Cat People um, oh, is also one. Uh, the, so no, both of those have sort of a, an electronic, an electronic sort of wash on the background that that uh, yeah. helps to sort of white noise it out for me a little bit. And Who then there's the just some other Cat People. Uh, I think the name was George Moroder, if I remember oh, right. Okay, all right. Um, so those are a couple of those. Yeah, um, and then sometimes I'll just pull up YouTube and, and have like sort of a space ambient noise mix, and we'll have a lot mm-hmm. of, sometimes it's strings and sometimes it's synthesizer stuff, but that sort of, 
that sort of stuff makes a sort of a good sort of a sound cloud, as it were, not to coin mm-hmm. a phrase, um, that, that, um, that helps to keep me uh, sort of, uh, I don't want to sound too whatever psyche here, but, you know, sort of centered in a good writing space. Yeah, uh, like focus. To, yeah, the focus or the trance-like thing where I'm concentrating, sort of relaxed concentration, you know, mm-hmm. um, for, for writing. So that's, or another thing that I do, when I'm, one of my favorite places to write is on an airplane. Uh, mm. a jet flying across the country mm-hmm. because there's enough ambient noise going on there that it just sort of helps to white noise things out and I can concentrate that way as well. Um, and then when I'm drawing, um, I do listen to a, a, a variety. Sometimes it's instrumental music and sometimes classical, but a lot of times it's uh, it's rock and roll. Um, I, yeah. I, spin vi- I spin vinyl on my home turntable. I've still got nice. my, a lot of old records and uh, uh, a few years ago I got back into to to acquire, I just I just like the sound better <laughs> on the mm-hmm. turntable. Yeah, I yeah. also have uh, I also have I give a shout out to my my favorite public radio station, which is WFUV, which is a, a, a public radio station in the Fordham University back in New York, where they have a lot of DJs that play their mu- play play music they like to, and uh, DJs that have like 20, 30 years of experience of, of that, and uh, a good bl- a good mix of old old rock and roll from the 70s 80s 90s and then new artists coming up now and uh i like that i like human beings helping um uh curate my experience uh, with music just like when i go into a comic shop it's great to have a knowledgeable um salesperson or two working at the shop that can help point you to things you might be interested in i prefer that to using um um Oh, those what are those things? <laughs> I'm forgetting now the, uh, um, the the programs that help you figure out what you might like. Oh um, yeah, I I never use those. I I don't know what they are. They're they're like a a search engine in a way. Algorithms. To, that's the word I'm yes, looking for. Yeah. There you go. And then yeah. that's fine. I mean, I don't. If people you know get a lot out of listening to uh, you know Spotify and uh, Pandora, you can you can find music that way too, and that's 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 fine. Um, I just have the things that I like to listen to, so that's that's the way I tend to. <laughs> that's why I tend to keep myself going. Oh, and sometimes I'll listen to audiobooks and podcasts as well, of course. Oh yeah, see that's how I am. Is I when I'm writing, because I don't do a lot of writing, but I'd like to do more. <laughs> um, but when I write, I listen to just instrumental music a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, I tend to go toward stuff like Tron and The Last Starfighter mm-hmm. and Star Trek Two and uh, Tron right. Legacy. Tron Legacy, I've listened to probably more than any soundtrack that I own. <laughs> um, but uh, I have a wide range and a lot of people don't realize the range that I have of the types of music for movie scores and soundtrack scores and things like that. I have more soundtracks on my iTunes <laughs> than I do any rock and roll or any yeah. singing song, which is crazy. But, uh, you know, thinking about film soundtracks, TV soundtracks with Firefly, this had a, this had a really unique, different sort of, soundtrack to it i mean Mm -hmm. you've got uh the the composer is greg uh edmondson Mm -hmm. and he did he did this this really wide range of asian influence and uh chinese and american and western Mm -hmm. and you get a lot of fiddle in 
the soundtrack and and then there's parts of the score to the TV series that has there's a lot of parts to the TV series that has adventure to it and you've got mm-hmm. uh, oboe and um, <laughs> yeah. horns and uh, these exciting moments in the score um, and even you get a broader view of uh, the world of Firefly. Like uh, one example I really think of is Heart of Gold, the, the Heart of Gold montage. Um, mm-hmm. I really think of that piece of music as, you know, kind of giving you a bigger, bigger world view of the, the, the world of Trekker or not Trekker, <laughs> Firefly. Yeah. I, but I think of that like like when I'm reading Trekker, I th- I'm thinking music from Firefly. <laughs> well, there could be a lot in common. Um, one of the instruments that you didn't mention that that really um, really makes the Firefly soundtrack to me so distinctive is you're right. There's a lot of there's a lot of fiddle. There's a lot of you know Western flavored music and some some Eastern um, Eastern music and modalities and stuff being used too. But there's this this amazing dobro a slide a slide resonating guitar um oh, yeah. which, which to me is that's mal that's the voice of that's mm-hmm. that's the voicing for mal and there's a certain um there's a certain very short musical theme a motif that that is to me that's mal uh that's the phrase that represents him uh throughout this thing uh river has one too uh that's voiced on the piano i think so and that's mm-hmm. something a lot of great you know soundtrack people do and we could go into this we could get into want to because i know some of the stuff <laughs> that's where 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 a good composer uh will do they will assign certain melodies and sometimes certain instruments too to represent either a character or a, a theme an idea mm-hmm. or a, an object even and um and weave those throughout the soundtrack so they reoccur and and you see them in different contexts and in different voicings and you say oh now mal is in trouble or now he's really angry or now he's triumphant or now he's you know in danger um and, and, but that dobro that that totally american americana music sort of thing uh, mm-hmm. you don't get that in a lot of science fiction things and with, between that and the fiddles and all that sort of stuff it could feel like a western soundtrack but then they've also got they use these great percussive, urgent um, drumming yes. sounds. That yep. sounds more like that. Um, I forget the name of the drumming, but it's like you know, over in the Himalayas or something like that. And and so it, it has an exotic feel, which to me helps to make it gives it something. Somehow it, it achieves a sci-fi a sci-fi western quality to it. You know, mm-hmm. we're not just riding out there on the range. We're we're riding out there on the range, but it's in space, and there's spaceships and blasters too. Um, yeah. Uh, so. Uh, and then, as you say, they also with the oboe and uh, a lot of nice instruments chimed. that are used, yeah, and chimed that are used um, sparingly, used you know sort of yep. strategically to achieve a very specific you know musical coloring for just this scene. Uh, it's pretty masterfully done, I think. Yeah, yeah, I I really appreciate the ensemble type of musical instruments that are used mm-hmm. in the score and Greg Edmondson really really gets to stretch <laughs> so to speak like you know you you don't mm-hmm. you don't see him do this you you feel it with the music right. and that's what I really like and 
you know, there's there's some some piece of the music I'd like to play for us for for the podcast and uh, to really get a feel for some of these uh, cues and and what they are and then how we feel about them. Mm-hmm. Um, the first set that I'd, I'd really like to get into is uh, t- discussing like the main title, uh, the big bar fight, boarding the serenity and the derelict, and then the reverse chase serenity in this first set. And I really think that the signature main title is just so unique because Joss Whedon wrote the lyrics for that title. And mm-hmm. it makes so much sense when you're listening to the lyrics and having that music incorporated into those lyrics and how it just, it feels like it needs to be there. <laughs> right. And I just, I found that really impressive. And then like the, the big bar fight to me is this fun, goofy scene, but yet <laughs> I chuckle every time I see it. And then you get that high fiddle and big percussion throughout that, that piece of music that really gives you this epic quality, especially in the scene where they're almost on the edge of this cliff and then Wash comes up and he <laughs> rescues them out of that situation. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's, it's so much fun. And mm-hmm. then like boarding the derelict is like we were talking about earlier, it's very haunting and creepy and it's everything you want from that type of cue. And then you get the reverse chase serenity. That's this chaotic and energetic and explosive cue that, that really feeds the scene of, of what is going on in that environment. What are your thoughts on this Ron? Um, well, a lot of what you say, I, 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 I just uh, underscore or echo a, a lot of that. Um, in that opening bar fight scene, uh, again, that's a great, you know, you, you get, you can hear that very distinctly, that, that, that slide guitar, that dobro sound, uh, mm-hmm. very distinctive. That's, uh, to me, that just means, well, Mal's on, Mal's on the job, Mal's here. And then the, the fiddle, which, you know, which, um, you know, there's a thin line between, um, between American Western music and, and, and Irish music. Uh, yes. Because that's where that, you know, the, the bluegrass music we had there in, in Kentucky and stuff, a lot of those people had come from Ireland and they brought their instruments or they brought their musical sensibilities with them and then gradually filtered down and came into the Wild West. So some of those lively fiddle tunes are halfway between a jig and a, <laughs> and a Western stomp or something like that. And we'll so even some of that get going into on that there. later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and the um, that that uh, this the, the boarding sequence uh, of this track, um, yeah, there's the 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 tension sort of rises throughout that scene, uh, and right near the end, there's this weird little um, instrument. It's 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 some wind blown thing. It sounds to me almost like something from the Australian outback. I don't know what mm-hmm. that, but it adds that again it adds that sort of exotic flavor that that pulls us out of just being you know ground in the american west and and it feels uh, almost otherworldly so again mm-hmm. that, that pulls us into that sci-fi uh sci-fi uh setting very very well um and one thing i really listened to in the in the the reavers uh scene um is uh you've got the big war drums you know that sound and that's the reavers coming of course mm-hmm. um 
And then the the slide guitar comes in again. So we know this yeah. is Mal's story. And and it's and it's kind of it's always there. Uh, it's sometimes it's it's very quiet in the background, and you got the big banging drums and all that stuff going on over the top of it. But it's there, you know. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the scene, all the drums have gone away, but that guitar is still there. Um, yeah. It's like it survived. It's like Mal. It's like the ultimate <laughs> lucky <laughs> and resourceful survivor. Um, and yeah. I just I think that's uh, that sort of crystallizes a lot about what the series contains too. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. So now we're gonna play those cues. Take my love, take my land, take me where I cannot stand. I don't care, I'm still free. You can't take the sky from me. Take me out to the black, tell them I ain't coming back. Burn the land and boil the sea. You can't take the sky from me.
All right, so next, what I'd like to get into is playing Burgess Gill's Captain's Ship, River's Perception in Saffron, Inara's Suite, uh, Cow's New Dress and My Crew, and River's Dance. Not River Dance, River's <laughs> Dance. Uh, there's some very eerie moments to the beginning cue of Burgess Gill's and Captain's Ship. Um, that you've got these almost like these gongs that are going off. Um, but I think they're chimes in a mm. way because they're, they're the long chimes, you know, the, the long ones that you see in an orchestra that they're, they're represented there. And um, that music is almost very chaotic, but mm. it represents that danger. And then you get, of course, some of that, that guitar and mm -hmm. the quick violin and even some clarinet to it. Th I mean, this one piece is just filled with uh, Edmondson's uh, efforts to make 
Firefly seem so enjoyable and you you feel the tension that is existing in this science fiction Western world. Right. And then the next piece with Rivers Perception and Saffron, it's almost striking for most of this cue because you get some great guitar, which of course you get through as we've been talking about with Mel. Mm -hmm. Uh it's his story. And yep. some of these chimes get in there and it even illustrates the powerful presence of what River has. And then you you get this almost quirkiness to it because you get Saffron, who's a con artist, and she's trying to trick the crew and uh, make a quick buck off even their ship. Mm -hmm. And it, it just, it works really well. Um, and then you have Inara Suite, which is sweeping and gorgeous and slow moving. And you get this, this Asian, it, the Asian strings, like the, I can't think of the instrument, what it's called. I, it, it's, it's not a mandolin. It's something else, but it's a string instrument. And it blends that Chinese and American music together, creating like this amalgam of yeah. uh, feelings for it. And then you have Cow's New Dress and My Crew. And I've got to take a moment and really think about this because this is kind of three parts of the same episode. And I think it's uh, the episode where Mal has to pretty much defend Inara's honor. Uh. <laughs> and, you know, he has no experience fighting with a sword. But then the guy that he's supposed to meet uh, to take some cargo off his hand, he is actually very impressed by what he does, by what Mal does to defend Anara's honor. To mm -hmm. He's like, well, you're going to these certain lengths to do this. And he really appreciates that. And so, you know, it, it, it shows him to have this honorable side. But <laughs> there's other parts of him that just are so brash. Right. Yeah. And and it's just it's it's funny. Mm -hmm. But then to finish off the set of cues, uh, you have Rivers Dance. And as we mentioned in the previous set of cues, um, you get that simplicity through like Irish folk music or even Scottish folk music. And you get that Irish jig and mm -hmm. the audience can really feel the uh, enjoyableness of it mm -hmm. but and you don't get any impending danger upon that music what do you think of these ron oh uh, well, let's see uh let's take them over the top uh, <laughs> a few th a few thoughts about it. um well yeah that that the opening tra uh, track uh the captain ship part i think especially is where i mean that just that that's just a a beautiful love melody isn't it i mean and mm -hmm. uh uh it's uh, it's called the captain's ship so i think uh, that sort of sort of tells us where mel's heart is at <laughs> mm -hmm. it's like um, a you know it's like serenity has is an actual character totally yeah yeah and for the for the captain of any ship that's i think that's 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 got to be the way it is right 
Um, I don't have anything really to add to the the river's uh, perception and saffron track. I think you covered yeah, that very well okay. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and um, the one thing about the the Inaris suite, I, it's you're right. It's just it's just you know breathtakingly beautiful. Uh, the melody and and that I think there's like a something that feels or sounds sort of like a Chinese flute thing to me in there as mm-hmm. well. Um, and what I hear in the melody, it's beautiful, but there's also a certain uh, wistfulness or a yearning in the melody, um, and which I find is really interesting because Inara comes across, you know, she 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 comes across as somebody who's sort of very grounded and very centered and stuff, but but there are times in the show the way the show was written, and it's cued also by I think some of the music like this, where that underneath that placid center, there's a certain restlessness or or there's something missing you know i mean whether it's mm-hmm. she really wants to she wants she wants for her and mal to be able to be a couple or um she's just you know there she's not as she's not as totally much the zen master as she comes across as she's got a story <laughs> yeah. she's got a story too you know i mean somebody who's reached the stage of enlightenment and they're unchanging well that's not a fun character to write a story about but anybody who who's who's got their own wishes and their own, their own desires that haven't been a hundred percent fulfilled and met yet, then you've got a story there. Um, mm-hmm. And I think this music really helps to underscore that, that uh, while she's, while she's on top of things and her act is together much more than most of the people on this crew, <laughs> but there are still things, you know, there's still, there's some more, uh, I think. And that, that is a story in that. Um and yeah, for the whole thing about the uh, the cows, the new dress, my my crew. There's uh, that 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 is a uh, here you'll hear that 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 guitar, and it's as mm-hmm. bluesy and sexy as a guitar could possibly be, um, which I just think is great. And then it transitions, and we get the, the there's some guitar picking, and, and and the fiddle comes in, and I just think it lifts our hearts. And mm-hmm. I think that's 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 Kaylee right there. Like I said, yeah. she's just she's on the scene, and your heart feels a little lighter you want to be a better you want to behave better you want to behave mm-hmm. you want to be a better person uh and uh just, i just think that's um that's a great example of how uh how the soundtrack helps to understand it helps with the storytelling uh, mm-hmm. and again the last thing river's dance yeah exactly i mean uh <laughs> what i think about is you know the irish have a long history with a lot of suffering <laughs> yeah <laughs> that that group of people they know how fragile and transitory life and happiness are uh, and and when you have that awareness, uh, I think you say when you've got the chance to dance, you do it with everything you've got. And I think that's yep. what you get—the sort of reckless abandon. Uh, and I think that uh, that that track just captures all that. So yeah, yeah, agreed. <laughs> all right, so let's play those cues.
All right. So next, the the next one. Um, I mean, I'm gonna go through this kind of quickly because there's there's a lot to these, uh, but. I'm not going to mention everything that I have in my notes because it's too much. Right. <laughs> uh, but like there's a funeral or the funeral uh, river understand Simon um, out of gas and empty derelict leaving caper, leaving caper and space ball. And then you have dying ship, naked Mal and rivers afraid Niska and torture. Now, I think the combination of all these tracks really reveal a lot of the deeper, um, deeper story-driven episodes of Firefly hmm. and the funeral, because um, they get they get this guy that's in a casket, and um, they they are to deliver him to his. Um, his family and they almost feel like family because they play his recording over and over again and you hear it through the whole thing and and it's just it's mournful but you really feel for what's happening in the in this this piece of music and then you have uh river understanding simon i think it's really bold um you see River's relationship with Simon Blossom and to know that she's not the only one suffering, that Simon has suffering too mm -hmm. about him. And then you've got Out of Gas, which is lonely and drawn out. And that episode alone, I think it's just called Out of Gas or something. And mm -hmm. uh, you've got Mal just by himself and then the whole rest of the episode is almost like a flashback of everything he's encountered to get where he is today and I find it really good um, but in a lot of way I was on edge when I was listening to this piece of music because it gives you this tension uh, to me I, I don't know but you, you feel for our hero uh, essentially, and then you've got leaving, leaving caper and spaceball. Um, I real I the the thing that is pointed out to me in this is the chimes and how with the music it kind of there's there's this type of thing where music will uh, I think the term is Mickey Mousing. <laughs> Because it's used, it was used back in the early days of like the Looney Tunes cartoons. The music would Mickey Mouse along to give you would see the character walk along or tiptoe along, and the music would follow that character. Uh, and uh -huh. to me, it feels like that. Um, and then you've got Dying Ship and Naked Mal. Now that's definitely with uh, Saffron, and <laughs> it's sad, but it's still. A lot of fun, and I think Nathan Fillion really fulfills that role really well. And then mm -hmm. lastly, of course, you've got Rivers Afraid, Niska, and Torture. And to me, this this piece is very terrifying. It's angry, and you get those chimes, and you get this eeriness of knowing that Niska is actually this... I think he's the best villain of mm -hmm. the whole series. Um 
what are your thoughts on maybe just a couple of these cues? Um, okay, on just a couple of them, let's see. Well, um, one of the things that I, when I was listening to these tracks, one of the things in the Out of Gas and Empty Derelict track um, is that I think what, what the soundtrack here really helps to convey is there's all that space in space. Mm-hmm. There's these long, drawn-out musical phrases uh, at the beginning of the piece, um, and you just feel like you're alone out there, and there's this endless expanse of nothing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the middle of the track, there's that dramatic surge or near the end of the track, um, which feels very dangerous. And then that goes away, and you're back to just that that emptiness of the beginning of the track except now that in emptiness is filled with this underlying sense of dread <laughs> yeah so it really uh it really conveys both the emptiness and the horror that fills the emptiness uh which which a lot of this track i think is that episode i should say is about um and yeah i mean just the 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 dying ship naked mall uh, <laughs> uh, i just I, I think that the guys that made this show knew what they had in nathan Philly. they had a very charismatic attractive dude and i think they had some real fun with that here and i think the the soundtrack recognized what was going on and so you got that a playful bluesy guitar stuff going on there and uh and i think there's also like a jazzy fiddle that comes in and just just to show it's like a little bit of a a wink to the audience we know we're sort of being intentionally titillating here a little bit (laughs) but isn't that fun and why not have some fun so uh, yeah (laughs) i think it's a very very well crafted very well crafted throughout Agreed. So let's play those tracks now.
All right, so sadly, we've come down to another end of Soundtrack Alley Spotlight. Ron, I'd really like to thank you for being on my show today. Um, well, thanks you very much for having me. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't know to yeah, talk over there. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. I, I just, I really think it's been a real treat to be able to talk about two favorite things, Firefly and Trekker, <laughs> and how there's so many similarities uh, between both of them. <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I guess with if it was. If I if uh, if I was doing a soundtrack for a tractor, like you said, you said somehow Firefly would be a great. I mean, you think of you hear Firefly music when you read tractor, and that's pretty good. I think I would probably have Mercy be voiced by a different instrument than the than the dobro, maybe a cello oh, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But 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 yeah, right. It's, it's as we were talking about. I was I was, and, and thinking about the music here. I was like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's not that far off from what would fit really great with a lot of the tractor stories I've done. It's been kind of fun. Yeah, definitely. So. <laughs> I want to ask, uh, where can people find you, Ron? Um, well, I'm online a fair amount. Uh, I have two websites. I have my uh, my general website, ronrandall.com, a lot of examples of my work and so on. And I also have a trekkercomic.com website where I've posted a lot of the earlier Trekker stories, and I'm still posting a new page goes up every Monday um, as an online sort of archival way to to sample the waters you know scroll around and, and see if trekker seems like it's your thing um and there are links from that site too if you want to pick up one of the books or something i'm also on twitter and instagram and facebook uh and best mm -hmm. of all starting on january 21st uh you can um, sign on board for the next uh, kickstarter and that's uh, that's at trekkerkickstarter.com and that's really exciting and i will definitely post a link for that in the show notes um, you. for this episode because uh, people need to know where they can get their next trekker <laughs> right <laughs> so that's that's really important um, people can find me through instagram twitter uh, mixcloud anchor um, i'm no longer going to be on podbean uh, probably as of this episode right now um, this episode will not go up until January, and that's when my Podbean pod subscription ends, and I just can't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> so Mixcloud and Anchor are free, so those two channels I will still be doing, and through Anchor, I might eventually be able to get it back on iTunes through Anchor. Um, I'm hoping that's the case. And then you can check out the website which is soundtrackalley.com and then you can email me at soundtrackalley at gmail.com so lastly today what i'd like to do is play a larger suite of music this is this is like an ensemble piece of some of the ending pieces of even the series of firefly and you've got an episode like an episode piece about jane and Janestown, you know, you've got a my bunk, Jane's statue, and boom. And then we've talked about it before, like the Heart of Gold montage. That really, to me, represents a larger piece of the world of Firefly. And I really like that piece. Um, one of the things I want to point out to me, to, to people for that, is it has this Indian feel. Like, from 
East India, not, uh, you know, right. not Native American Indian, um, but different parts of Asian influences in that piece of music that's from the world of Firefly. And then um, Early takes Serenity and River tricks Early. Early is actually, <laughs> I don't know why, but he's kind of one of my favorite low you know, one episode villain that actually is kind of quirky, strange, and a bit mad. Like, not mad <laughs> as in angry, but mad as in insane. He's uh, nuts. He's, he is, because he's talking to himself the yeah. whole episode. And he's like, that's not really right, is it? And he's just, he's kind of a weird, weird character. He's, like, like you said... He's nuts. And I think Greg Edmondson really gives us some some unique pieces of music in that with like some oboe. I really noticed the oboe and the low low keys mm-hmm. in that episode because you you have this element of danger, uh, but it it really draws you in with some creepy music. But then as we go into River Tricks early, it changes to where mal is involved and you get that guitar again Mm -hmm. and uh it still gives you that creepy strange music for early but you also get some resolution to the episode and i I really like that and it even gives a, a connection between mal and river i i i really appreciate that and then the last piece I want to play is inside the Tam house, which is Simon and River and their relationship and how uh, Simon's relationship was with his father. And that's a really complex scene hmm. for the show. And then, you know, you get more of it. You feel like you get more of it from the movie Serenity, which ties up everything for Firefly. And I think that's so important for uh, the series of Firefly. You get that resolution, that final resolution with Serenity, uh, the movie, of how there's so much conflict um, through that show and uh, the characters. And what do you think about a couple of these? Okay, let's see. Well, a, a couple here. Uh, on, on, on the first set, the one that uh, you said focus on on Jane, uh, portraying Jane a little bit. Um, one thing I that struck me when I was listening to that track is uh, the the opening chords sound like something from Aaron Copeland, you know, classic American oh, and yeah. Americana sort of musical performer, and which you know has a sort of a Western American sort of uh, flavor to it. But they quickly give way to these um, these plucked strings. Uh, and it goes into like a three, four time, but it's a hesitant one. So it feels very awkward and, mm-hmm. and, and, and off balance a bit, which fits Jane perfectly because he's very awkward and everybody feels unbalanced around him. So I think the music really, again, I just think it helps to underscore the characters and reflects all that stuff there. Um, uh, and and uh, as far as the, the, early uh stuff uh yeah you, that that oboe and and not only is it the oboe but there's a certain phrase do 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 or something like mm-hmm. that which yeah which that's his that's early's phrase and you'll 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 hear that repeating over and over um 
throughout the the episode and this track too. And uh, then on River Tricks early, uh, as well as getting Mal's uh, guitar coming in, the piano comes in and plays what I consider to be River's theme, which mm-hmm. um, it's it's beautiful. It's, and I think it's it's great because it's somewhat it's it's a little bit like a, almost like child song like. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but it's also sophisticated, and there's a real subtlety as well. And that's that's capturing River and who she is. She's in some ways this sort of you know she's sort of like a savant, you know. But she's there's a lot of stuff that she seems to have blinders to, like she's innocent or naive in some ways, but but a sophisticated killing machine in other ways or whatever. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so uh, again, I think finding the right melody and phrasing that that helps to reflect that just uh, rewards a lot of listening for that stuff. And maybe lastly, for the Tam's House piece, um, I, 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 in listening to that, I hear a lot of sort of Eastern music and, again, a certain wistfulness there. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, he, he's look, Simon's looking back here, I think, at, at, a, at, a, at a beautiful time that is gone. And so there's that sense of, you know, what's lost. Can, can he somehow rebuild some of that by, by, by rescuing River, you know, from her predicament and stuff? We don't know, but... Um, it's very moving, very moving pieces all the way around. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we've discussed so much throughout this episode about Trekker, about Firefly, about your Kickstarter. Um, I'm going to do my very best to get the word out about your Kickstarter and and direct people to your Kickstarter website, which is, once again, uh, Trekker uh, Kickstarter dot com. Trekker okay. Kickstarter to, you know, all lowercase one word, trekkerkickstarter.com. All right. I will definitely do that because uh, January 21st is when this yep. goes up, you know, when the Kickstarter goes up. And I'm going to be promoting this before that goes up. Uh, in fact, it's probably going to be uh, the week of the new year. So. That's going to be really exciting. So it'll be the third. It'll be January 3rd. (laughs) All right. That's great. So that's going to be really fantastic. And as I've said before, Ron, thank you so much for being on my show. I also want to thank Darren and Ruth Sutherland for introducing us. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, It's been really great to be able to talk about uh, a passion project. And um, it's even spurred me on to continue growing in my drawing uh, stuff of what I what I do and just trying to be better at being an artist and trying to write as much as I can. So uh, it's just really, really good to be able to talk to you. So we're going to play these cues and until next time, happy listening.
Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley Spotlight. I hope you've enjoyed it, and if you're on iTunes, please rate and review the show. It really helps Soundtrack Alley Spotlight get noticed. Thanks. Thanks.